Welcome to Today on Broadway for Monday, July 2nd. I am new Los Angeles Lakers fan, Matt Tamanini. <laughs> and I am Broadway star's James Marino. You're uh, LeBron and huh? Uh, I, I can't believe I'm going to have to root for the Lakers, but I don't have a choice. I, I My favorite team is whatever team LeBron is on. And uh, all right, I guess it's the Lakers. They're going to be awful unless they get Kawhi, but whatever. We'll, we'll deal with that later. Different podcast. Yes. Very much different. So uh, on our podcast, what's been happening on our feed? Oh, okay. Yeah, we had two things over the weekend. First, the season two finale. Believe it or not, two seasons in to On My Way to a BFA. And Natalie ended season two the way she began season one. And that was with uh, my good friend, Andrew Bradis, also known as Annoying Actor Friend. Um, he is also a veteran of the Hart School where Natalie goes. I don't know how they define alums because he left before his final semester to go and do the national tour of The Boyfriend directed by Julie Andrews. So I think technically you're an alum as soon as you go there but i i don't want to anyway two heart school folks chatting so that came into the feed on saturday and then yesterday james you had uh this week on broadway peter felicia was out in lincoln nebraska at the uh, international theater festival so jan simpson jumped in uh to pinch hit for him along with michael portantier and i love it when jan's on she's uh so brilliant and i love uh having her in uh in the feed whether it's on this week on broadway or on her own show but you guys uh, did a lot of really cool reviews of some fun off-broadway stuff carmen jones which i talked about earlier in the week on the episode that I was by myself, Girls and Boys, Skin Tight, long ca- Log Cabin, and Songs for a New World. What stood out to you, James, from all of the things that you guys discussed on Sunday? Uh, Michael talked about Carmen Jones being a possible transfer. And I, I, haven't, I, I haven't seen Carmen Jones, so I couldn't really tell you. And I'm not sure that there's a financial market for Carmen Jones, but if he, he felt it was that good so now i'm have to i have to rethink and figure out if i can get a ticket because carmen jones is a hard ticket yeah. to get yeah they did as i mentioned on friday's show they extended three full weeks from the 29th of july to the 19th of august and i said on the show like i i don't know if it can like i don't know if it could do it um as a commercial production um but if anyone can make that work on broadway it's probably john doyle um and and i heard you guys on this week on broadway talking about whether or not anything from classic stage is transferred and the only thing that has is venus and fur which did not transfer into a commercial production it actually transferred in um as part of mtc season so that might be something where that could work it's a smaller theater at the freedman um i don't know if it'll work whether it works or not i I hope we get a cast album because it really is a fantastic production yeah the anika nani rose uh factor there is just uh one of those things that can't get enough of her that's awesome yeah. So um, a few things that we did want to mention before we get into the news, because we do have some pretty heavy stuff to talk about. But we do want to bid farewell to two shows that closed on Broadway yesterday. First, the Denzel Washington led revival of Eugene O'Neill's Ice, The Iceman Cometh closed on Broadway, as did the complete opposite in terms of theatrical fare, Escape to Margaritaville. Both shows closed on Broadway. We bid a fond farewell to all of their casts and you know, wish the best for all of them. And uh, we'll be interested to see what ends up happening in those two theaters. Um, Off the top of my head, I know we're going to talk about what could be replacing Escape to Margaritaville uh, later on in the show. And um, I don't know if we know exactly what's going to be replacing um, the Iceman Cometh. I'm sure it's another Rudin show going into uh, 
uh, into the theater. But so congratulations to those casts. Uh, I really enjoyed Iceman James. I know you did. Um, so, uh, yeah, we'll see what's next uh, for both of those spaces. Oh, the ferryman. The ferryman goes into the Jacobs uh, later this fall. So that's what's uh, replacing Iceman. It's like 100 degrees here in New York on Sunday, and Monday's not going to be much better, so I really hope the Iceman cometh soon. Thank you. I'll be here through Thursday. Please chip your waiters. All right. Try the veal. (sighs) Ooh, veal. (laughs) You can't eat veal these days. It's not... Anyway. So, first up in the news, the theater community got some sad news yesterday. Yeah, we really did. Yesterday, via her official Twitter account, Dame Jillian Lynn's husband, Peter Land, announced that she had passed away earlier in the day. She was 92 years old. Of course, the legendary director and choreographer, Lynn is best known for her work for both The Phantom of the Opera and Cats, which she did all the choreography for. She was also a regular contributor and collaborator with both Andrew Lloyd Webber and producer Cameron McIntosh, both in New York and in London. Most of her credits are uh, in in London. She did a handful of shows uh, on Broadway other than Phantom and Cats, but the bulk of her work uh, was done in London. She was never a, a Tony winner, but she was nominated twice. She was also a uh, appointed a Dame Commander of the Order of the British Empire in 2014, which I will argue is far cooler uh, than than a Tony Award. Um, And then even cooler than that, earlier this year, the New London Theater, which is owned by Lloyd Webber's Really Useful Theaters, was renamed the Jillian Lynn Theater. Lloyd Webber, Elaine Page, Betty Buckley, choreographer Matthew Bourne, and many, many more from the theater community have expressed their sorrow in Lynn's passing. James, because of uh, of the longevity of Phantom, and especially Cats, because it is so dance-heavy, Phantom obviously has all the ballet portions, but Cats is about the dance. I've seen a lot of performers on social media saying how Lynn's work inspired them to become dancers and to tell stories through dance, even if they never worked with her. Um, so this is obviously a, a tremendous loss to the theater community because her work was so expansive and she worked directly with so many performers of so many generations. But then because Cats toured and there was a, 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 a I don't know if it was first a VHS or a DVD made of it that other generations of theater performers and fans could see it seems like the tentacles of, of what she created reach far and wide beyond just the performers that were fortunate enough to work for her James you've been in the theater community and as an actor and then as a, a media member for many many decades do you have any memories of Lynn either personally or just you know of seeing her work as either a director or a choreographer I didn't know her personally. I had met her at large events, a big fan of hers, Uh, you know, a tremendously giving person to the community. And as you mentioned, uh, there's a large outpouring of of warm remembrances from many people across the uh, theatrical community. Uh, yeah, and, and before we move on, I, I want to mention an, another passing that we had in the theater community, not to overshadow one with the other, other but uh, last week, Tony winner Lillian Montevecchi passed away at the age of 85. She won a Tony for originating the role of Guido's mother in Nine, and she was again nominated for her final Broadway role of Elisabetta and the original Broadway production of Grand Hotel. Uh, a lot of people also had fond remembrances of her. She was still a regular cabaret performer, and I think she was at 54 Below not too long ago. She was also a dancer and performer 
in many golden age musicals, Daddy Longlegs, uh, Meet Me in Las Vegas, and, and many others. So uh, Godspeed to both of these uh, these Broadway legends of, of varying uh, uh, professions, but people that obviously made important impacts on many, many people in the community. All right, let's move on to our next story of the day. Jeremy Jordan hints at a Broadway return. Yeah, James, you remember a couple of weeks ago I mentioned that Jeremy Jordan announced as well as the the – production company announced that he would be moving from a series regular to a recurring character on the CW Supergirl. At the time, Jordan said that it would be to move back eastward, be closer to his wife and his family. And then on uh, on Friday, Jeremy or Saturday, either one, I can't remember off the top of my head, but Jeremy Jordan tweeted just it's a tune you can hum dot dot dot. Now, because I am of a certain age, along with Sondheim aficionado Ashley Steves, who is Broadway World's uh, cabaret uh, editor, we both immediately went to Merrily We Roll Along because we know Roundabout and the Fiasco Theater Company is going to do a production of Merrily this season off Broadway. Jeremy Jordan was a part of uh, that six on Sondheim TV thing on HBO a few years ago, and he was part of the, the group of people that sang Opening Doors. So that's what we thought. But then the younger theater fans on the interwebs reminded us that that is actually a lyric from the Joe Iconis song, Broadway Here I Come, that uh, that Jordan sang on oh. Smash. In fact, the lyrics of that song are, it's a tune you can hum, oh, Broadway, here I come. Ironically enough, one of the first people to respond to that tweet from Jeremy Jordan was his smash love interest, Kat McPhee. She just had three smirking face emojis. Uh, makes you interested there since she's coming back to Broadway and Waitress in a few weeks. And then another one was his smash writing partner, Andy Mantis, who said, if I find out on social media, I swear to Christ, Jerem, dot, dot, dot. <laughs> Meaning you better tell me what's going on before I find out on social media. So uh, my uh, first thing, I said it as soon as I realized that that was a uh, Broadway here I come reference. I said, well, of course, he's got to be replacing uh, Eric Bergen as Dr. Pometer in Waitress. Um, Kat McPhee is only supposed to go a couple of weeks longer than Eric Bergen's contract. But I have a feeling if Jeremy Jordan comes in, she could extend again. This is very much a Weisler thing to do. And I think it would be fantastic. I am full hardcore team Jeremy Jordan. I think he is an, an unbelievably gifted performer. And uh, I think the fact that he's going to be back in New York, whether it's on Broadway or not, this is a very good thing and a very exciting thing for many, many people in the Broadway community. Oh, that is uh, <laughs> as if Merrily uh, it was not going to be a hard enough ticket to get. I know, if that's you know, it, yeah. And, and then the Joe Iconis thing, you know, uh, Jennifer it, Ashley Tepper, at Tepper, you know, what she can pull off, you know. Yeah. <laughs> Although I wouldn't put it past her to somehow combine the two into one super Transformer type of Broadway show. Yeah, yeah. who knows? But I, I – I'm I'm guessing it's going to be him going into waitress. If I had to put, you know, a, a, a dollar value on it, I would put money on it being waitress. Um, but who knows? I, hopefully it's something else. I think he's an incredible talent. I wouldn't mind seeing him be at the center of a of a new show coming to Broadway. If, in fact, Broadway, he is coming to you. <laughs> Another type of transformer. Next up, the Palace <laughs> Theater renovation approved by the New York City Council. Yes, last week, the New York City Council unanimously approved Mayfield Development's proposal to renovate the famed Palace Theater. The $2.4 billion renovation... Whoa. 
Yeah, will elevate the Palace Theater 29 feet above the ground, creating a downstairs space covering 10,000 square feet. The renovation will also include the expansion of the Doubletree Hotel located within the property and the addition of retail space and LED signage. So basically, it's going to be like what happens at Disney World, where you come out of a ride and you go straight into a gift shop. That's effectively what the Palace Theater is now going to be. Uh, Mayfield said in a statement, we thank the council and their subcommittees for the final approval of the text change, which had to do with their submission for why it was getting held up before. Um, we also want to thank all our partners and stakeholders that have helped us create a, thought, uh, a thoughtful redevelopment plan that honors Times Square's history history and contributes to its legacy. Now, the rumored start of construction has previously been reported as mid-September of this year, just a few months away. And of course, the house's current occupant, SpongeBob SquarePants, is only on sale through September 2nd. Hmm. There have been rumors reported that SpongeBob could move to the Marquee Theater, where Escape to Margaritaville just finished its run. But, James, that's a, that's a big investment for a show that has had a lot of ups and downs at the box office, especially during non-peak tourist seasons. Um, so assuming that things go according to schedule for the renovation, which with a $2.4 billion price tag, I'm not 100% sure I'm buying into um, because it seems like a quick turnaround if they don't have all their money lined up. But Nickelodeon certainly had to know that this was a possibility when they agreed to put SpongeBob in there. So they have to have a plan as to whether they will move or close the show based off what their, you know, their box office is. Obviously, they don't have much room for advanced sales since there's only two months left of advance, you know, tickets to be sold from, you know, today, exactly two, two months from today. So uh, I guess we'll have to know what's going to happen fairly soon, right? Because they have to either announce a new block of tickets or a closing date on Labor Day. Hmm. So uh, I have to think about this. Well, two point four billion ha- has to be a renovation for the whole building. It's not just the theater. Right. That has uh, to do it, with the raising and everything. Yeah, correct. It, it's the whole. There's a whole thing. I mean, the, the theater wouldn't pay off two point four billion. Um. Now there. The thought to move to the marquee, I was thinking to myself, you know, uh, uh, Nickelodeon is based in 1515 Broadway, but the marquee and 1515 is where the Lion King is. It's not the marquee. So I got confused there. I was thinking maybe they wanted a, you know. Yeah, the Lion King's at the Minskoff. Yeah, At the Minskoff, which is 1515. So, yeah, I think that they could move it, but. No, even rumors of it so far. So, well, there were there, there have been rumors of that. I believe, um, I believe either in Forbes or maybe it was Michael Riedel. It was published in one of the articles uh, that previously talked about this expansion. Um, but you know, it that what they did to the public to make that space fit SpongeBob was not small by any means. So for them to have to read do their efforts to morph the marquee into, you know, bikini bottom like they did with the, the with uh, the palace yeah. would take some some take some money. And for a show that's, you know, had some pretty rough weeks after you get past Labor Day and you start getting into the the, the thin fall season. Like, I don't that's that would that would take a major commitment from Nickelodeon to say we're going to gut through this slow period open back up for the holidays. Maybe, maybe they keep it closed for a couple months and start, you know, again in November, play through the holidays 
and then try to suck it up through the winter into the spring and the summer again. I, I don't know, but um, it, it just seems like that's a tall order for a show that had been down in the low 700s uh, in terms of its grosses, if not lower, but seems to have a pretty high weekly nut. Huh. All right. Well, uh, all we can do is sit on the sidelines and watch and, yes. and see what happens there. Yeah. Cer- certainly a very interesting story that's about to happen. Yep. All right, uh, Matt, why don't you get us out of here? All right, thanks for listening to Today on Broadway. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter at Broadway Radio, and you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at BWWMATT. Oh, you, you know what I, uh, I was going to mention was that uh, over the weekend, uh, there were just so many things going on. The Concert for America happened. Mm-hmm. And I watched the, it. And there's the big marches that happened. Uh, we talked about songs for a new world, but uh, Lin Manuel Miranda was down in D.C. marching. Yes, uh, and there was uh, there was tons of tons of coverage about that as well. But uh, Lin Manuel was <laughs> his Twitter feed is just a must follow. I mean, we, yeah. we 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 could have just a show every day of just reading his tweets. They're so insightful and funny. Well, in fact, he is going to, he said that he is uh, going to do a book of his morning and evening tweets that he does. He always yeah. does kind of like mm-hmm. themed tweets in the morning as like a wake up and then a go to bed thing. So apparently that that book is in the works. And you mentioned him being in D.C. He um, actually got up and performed and and sang a cappella, Dear Theodosia, yeah. talking about how there were so many people uh, down around the borders who weren't able to sing lullabies to their kids at night because they'd been separated. And it was really cool. And he mentioned this on Twitter is that. When he got to the part where Burr and Hamilton were singing in counterpoint, he sang the lead. And then the audience at the march sang the counterpoint. And he just said, that's a moment he'll never forget. And I get goosebumps just thinking about it and listening to it because obviously Lynn is not the best singer in the world. But to, to know that that audience knows that song, that musical theater song so well is uh, obviously a testament to him, but also shows you just how... Um, socially invested that a theater community is that those were the people that ended up at that march so that's what really took I, I took away from is that the theater people whether they're theater kids like down in parkland or theater fans we're going to be the ones that save this country you know just saying mm-hmm. so uh uh you know but a, a really cool weekend and i watched the concert for america which um you know, uh, Seth Rodetsky and his, his husband, James put together in like 11 days, a lot of fun, some great performances. Um, and, uh, it's still on, uh, Facebook, Facebook live. You can go and watch the whole thing. Some really cool stuff. And of course, for me, the highlight was Stokes and Audra singing, um, wheels of a dream is, is always an awesome thing to be able to see them do together. Uh, do, uh, did Broadway world get the video of Lynn singing down in DC? We did, yeah. We have it up on the side. I'll throw it in the show notes. Throw it in the show notes. And also, before we run, uh, I want to tell you guys a quick, encouraging story. On Saturday evening, I was at a party out on Long Island in somebody's backyard with a bunch of children. My daughter's 10. My son's 14, 15, just turned 15 the other day. Uh, and so there were a bunch of kids in that in that age range and uh, they put on the Dear Evan Hansen uh, cash recording, and they all knew it, and they all sang it. That's awesome. Isn't that awesome? All right. My name is James Marino from BroadwayRadio.com and BroadwayStars.com. Thanks for starting off your week with us, and hopefully Matt and I will be back and talk to you later this week. We haven't talked about what we're doing yet, have we? <laughs>